It's been National Farmers Week the week just gone, so this morning we're out helping celebrate an important part of farming. Chris Spratt will also be here from Open Field and Sean Sparling has your weekly agronomy. Plus, after last week's raw milk vending machines went live, we're looking in a little more detail this morning at the current state of the dairy industry. Wholesale milk at the moment is worth about 26p a litre. That's what farmers are being paid for it by the supermarkets, um, which isn't even break even for the farmers, which is why half of the industry has gone out of business in the last 10 years. The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Well, uh, despite having farming in my family's blood for over 100 years, farming land near Barnaby Top, uh, one regret I have is that I came to agriculture a little later in life, first in a farming newspaper when I probably was young enough to join the Young Farmers Club, and then here on the programme where I'm now too old to be a member. I mean, as I'm 27, obviously. <clears throat> anyway, enough of that. This week uh, was Young Farmers Week, the third such week, aimed at promoting the clubs and attracting that all-important new blood into the industry. So I've come here to Rise Home College for the programme this week. It's the Lincolnshire County headquarters, though, of course, you'll find Young Farmers Clubs right across the country. Uh, Kate Knight, is alongside me, the Strategic Development Manager for the Lynx YFC. First of all, what is a Strategic Development Manager? Okay, well, it's a a newish role that's um, evolved this year. Um, So I started with the Federation in June, just Lynx Show Week, bit of a hit-the-ground-running week. And it's support the county, uh, support all the current clubs, um, and also uh, recruitment drive. So the Federation would like to increase membership, and we've got our new sort of line that we're using, hashtagging everywhere, 1,000 members by 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's the aim, isn't it? If you can get 1,000 by, what, three years' time, that'll be a good achievement. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that's my aim, working with a great team, county team. Current county chairman, Matt Denby's very driven about that. And um, we're opening up some new clubs, hoping to. We've got a new members' night for a, a new club that's historically had closed and that's Laceby and they've got a new members night um, a week on Monday and we're um, supporting them obviously to try and get that club started again and another few leads to follow up as well. It's been a busy week this week hasn't it? Has it been the National Young Farmers Week? Yeah it's been very very busy we've been sharing lots of things on all our social media we've had some new members nights so Rhizome and um, Market Raisin had their new members night and had some really good response for for new members as well as current members coming back so it is the beginning of the Young farmer year and um, yeah we've just been sharing some of the initiative from national young farmers on our facebook and twitter pages and we've actually got a hundred new likes on our page which we're thrilled with and if we can turn some of those obviously into members that would be great so it's been a bit hectic <laughs> do you think people know enough about the young farmers clubs well we hope so we've been working hard with matt and the county team to and all the club chairmen and secretaries to advertise a little bit to the wider audience so not just keeping it only you know on our closed or our own facebook pages but trying to share across you know into other areas and one of my initiatives is to perhaps go into schools um, and try and recruit members that maybe don't know about it and great things like this absolutely (laughs) it's obviously the third uh, year of the, the actual week itself it seems to get more and more successful as the years go on yeah I think I mean obviously it's my first year mm. being new to young farmers but I think with the social media it makes it easier but we need to think about you know how we do that and, and where we do it and 
you probably know because you've been shouting out about it all week I initiated the roadside pig campaign so we've had little wooden pigs every club has had one and decorated it in their own style so um, and some of them have just used their pigs to advertise their new members night and some of them have used it just generally to ag- advertise their club I'm thrilled with how that's gone because all clubs pretty much have bought into that I think so I'm pleased with that because that was a bit of a brave move from me I think <laughs> well it certainly seems to have worked Fantastic. so it's a good idea and obviously this is just the spur isn't it we, we want to get those new members in and it's an all-year-round event really isn't it? yeah so I mean we're focusing obviously on recruitment this week um, but it is a recruiting time the young farmer year begins at the beginning of September so the autumn is considered to be a really strong recruiting time so we won't be sitting on our laurels next week we'll be following up and doing lots more I hope Brilliant, thank you. Uh, Kate, that's Kate Knight, Strategic Development Manager of the Lincolnshire Young Farmers Clubs. And we'll hear a little later in the programme from some of the young farmers who've been playing a central role in the Young Farmers Week. Uh, That's later here at Rise Home. First in a field about, oh, 10 miles that way is our agronomist, uh, Sean Sparling. Morning, you were a a young farmer, weren't you, Sean, once? Yes, morning, Sean. Young farmers, that takes me back. I was a Sleaford young farmer and I can remember being young and scared of nothing. And now I'm old and I'm scared of everything, including slugs and cabbage stem flea beetle, which is where we're going to start, I think. Um, Or seed rape. This last seven days, we've had, I've had over 24 millimetres of rain. I know some people will have had closer to 50 mil. And in the last 25 days, I've only had three days where it hasn't rained. Now, that's complicated things. This last week, we did see a couple of nice days. Uh, Wednesday was a nice day. I was out walking rape again Wednesday and looking at the, the leaves of the rape and thinking, oh, there's a little hole in that one over there and there's a hole in that one over there. And they weren't holes. They were the cabbage stem flea beetles themselves. These three, four mil long, humpy back, black, metallic-y green beetles and they are having one last ditch attempt before the autumn really gets stuck in um, to do what they do and cause us problems both by direct feeding and by mating and then laying the edge which will cause problems when those larvae get into the stem so it is still worth uh, treating cabbage stem flea beetle but for goodness sake make sure you're treating for the right reasons go out there have a look make sure you've got something you need to be treating threshold for example on a two-leaf crop cotyledon to two-leaf is when 25 percent of the leaf area on a plant is being affected if you've got a four-leaf crop of oilseed rape then it's 50 percent of the leaf area being affected and over the course of the next couple of weeks you'll start to see that damage truly decline and the direct leaf feeding becomes less of an issue Um, But it is very, very noticeable that in the last few days that damage has increased again. So if you're using pyrethroids, for goodness sake, make sure you are still legal and you are keeping yourself legal. There are maximum total cumulative doses you're allowed to put on. There's maximum numbers of applications of product you're allowed to put on. So make sure you're staying within the rules and don't just spray every two or three days for the sake of doing it until your crop gets to six leaves. If you've got a problem, you need to treat it. But if not, don't waste your money and don't sort of damage the beneficials which are doing you an awful lot of good because there are predators out there which are helping us not least ground beetles which are helping us against slugs and if you put insecticides on just willy-nilly for the sake of doing it you'll damage the ground beetles and you make a rod for your own back because the slugs have no uh, natural predators out there and while we're talking about slugs increased activity certainly in the last seven days we're, we're really seeing that but this might be the way forward to to start thinking about putting ferrous phosphate on at the moment while things are damp underfoot while drains are starting to run you've got waterlogged fields not at capacity but they are very very wet and they're not drying out so putting ferrous phosphate on that 
doesn't bring the risk of getting metaldehyde into drinking water. And obviously, the more we get spikes in reservoirs and rivers as they test for it, the more likely we are to lose metaldehyde. So we need to use it properly. We need to steward it. We mustn't use it within 10 metres of a field boundary or a water course. But also just watch where you use metaldehyde on waterlogged and wet fields. Uh, the slug activity is very, very high at the moment, but hopefully... With a bit of warm weather coming this weekend, these crops should soon start to grow away. Now, if you haven't put nitrogen on your all-seed rape yet, you may well want to do that. You can put 30 kilos of N on between now and the beginning of November. It makes total sense to me to do it now while the crop's still got moisture. <laughs> while the uh, soil temperatures are around 11.5 to 12, the crop's looking to grow. And with a lot of these crops being put into the stubbles of last year's crop, they're growing in a medium which probably won't have an awful lot of nitrogen left in it. So give them some food now while they can use it, and you may well see that difference happen. Manganese deficiency is showing up as well, but nitrogen deficiency not difficult to find. When you've got a four-leaf plant, the new leaves are coming out green and the older leaves are starting to pale. It's pretty classic nitrogen deficiency symptoms, that. So watch what you're looking for. Take the volunteers out. Be very careful about broadleaf weeds, post-em, mixing and, and cocktails of tank mixes because all of the wetters and surfactants, if you mix a broadleaf weed, a graminicide, an insecticide, a trace element, all of those things have surfactants in them and you may well just cause a bit of crop damage. Mostly it will be transient as long as the crop's big enough to stand it. But it is under stress out there at the moment. Um, the crops, not just the crops, actually agronomists as well. So let's just move on to uh, cereals. I do have some cereals in the ground drilled into land I'm pleased to say that doesn't have black grass not yet through we're thinking about seed rates of around about 200 225 now I mean it's very wet nobody in their right mind should be thinking about drilling into black grassland not least because the seed beds are just so poor anyway at the moment and we haven't had the first good flush of black grass. And remember, a flush of black grass is about 500 plants of black grass a square metre. You want at least one of those out of the way, and preferably two, before you put wheat into that sort of black grass land. So don't fly about thinking about drilling wheat at the moment if you're on black grass land. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to hold yourselves back sometimes. Um, and you start to think, well, the winter might close in early and we may not get it drilled. But there's nothing worse for an agronomist than seeing his wheat coming up after it's had all its preems absolutely full of black grass because we know there's nothing we can do about it. Remember last year, we were delayed by the weather, black grass levels were low take a lesson from that one. Um, sugar bee, I haven't heard any yields, although I have seen some lifted. Let's hope and fingers crossed that sugars are high and yield, root yields are high because we're still making good margins on sugar beet um, as long as the root yields are nicely up there. And also remember that if you're using Centurion Max on your oilseed rate crops, you need at least four true leaves on there for it to be safe. And if you're using carbetamide in your oilseed rate, whether that be crawler or otherwise, you need preferably four to six true leaves on there to make sure the crop's safe so the tendency is to go out and get jobs done just bide your time if you're going to do the job do it properly uh, someone who always does the job properly for us sean sparling of sparling agronomy services i'm sean dunderdale enjoying the surroundings of rise home college the county headquarters of the young farmers as national young farming week draws to a close indoors though as usual it's our weekly update from open field with chris spratt this week uh, still busy at the moment, is it, Chris? Well, yeah, there's a bit of a struggle going on out there, really, trying to get the last of harvest in. There's certainly, uh, in areas, a bit of wheat. 
spring barley, beans, and of course, not surprisingly, uh, linseed still in the fields. Of course, we're now seeing shorter days and the sun's taking just that little bit uh, longer to burn through, which is uh, prolonging harvest even further. As far as the wheat market's concerned, well, the UK is really a follower, not a leader at the moment. Uh, in some parts of the UK now, we are getting very close to import parity. That is the extremities and, and, and further north and west. Um, but really, I think at this moment in time, we expect the UK pricing structure to float between an export price and an import price for most of the season. The UK has recently signed a trade agreement with Canada and one of the implications is that that it now appears as though Canadian corn could come into the UK uh, levy or tax-free. I think that's just something we need to monitor going forward. As far as the wheat market internationally is concerned, well, Egypt bought further three cargoes this week, about 175,000 tonnes, I think that came from Russia. They appear to be the favourite supplier into North Africa at the moment, or certainly into Egypt. As it stands at the moment, it's, it's rather interesting that they've had to pay about $10 more than they did for the last purchase, partly because of freight rates, but partly because at this moment in time, there's one or two boats stood there, uh, certainly one Romanian boat, uh, rejected for poppy seeds of all things. So... Uh, uh, I know it's bad enough when we get an individual load rejected in the UK dealing with it, um, but uh, for someone there with 60,000 tonnes of wheat uh, stood dockside in Egypt rejected, uh, I don't think that trader will be sleeping too well. So as far as the UK wheat size is concerned, I think we're now in the region of 14 to 14.5 million tonnes is where most people seem to be putting the UK crop size. Uh, just having a quick look at malting barley, interestingly, European analysts still seem to be thinking that we're going to have a, a spring malting barley surplus of around about 430,000 tonnes. I think that's optimistic to say the least when you look at the attrition rate around the UK. Um, we've got good good prices for this year and good prices for next year as far as malting barley are concerned. Uh, oilseed rape. And the Aussie rate market is still rather benign. Uh, the uh, UK crushers are taking imported at the moment, um, whereas last year they took that towards the end of the season. This year they look like they're front-end loading those purchases. Pricing, feed wheat for November, 139 to 142 ex farm, with May 145 to 148, and November 18, 142 to 144. Uh, milling wheat premiums uh, around the 12 to 15 pound mark dependent on quality and position feed barley 121 to 123 for november uh, with march 18 127 to 129 all seed rape 310 to 312 for november and 316 to 318 for may 2018 Feed beans, 150 to 155 for November. That premium now widening out, uh, £180 for the best samples. Uh, that's partly because we're not seeing many good samples coming through the system at the moment. There isn't a massive demand, but the demand that is there has, has moved that premium on from £15 to £30 over the last uh, two to three weeks. Thank you, Chris Spratt from Open Field. Last week on the programme, we talked about raw milk vending machines. The first in Lincolnshire, just along the A15 actually, from where I am at the moment, and East Yorkshire's first, which opened last month in Cherry Burton. Well, that one is run by Becky Waring of Cherry View Milk. And whilst Gemma Barber was chatting to Becky about the vending machine, they also discussed, well, just how things are at the moment, more generally, in the dairy industry. 
wholesale milk at the moment is worth about 26p a litre. That's what farmers are being paid for it by the supermarkets, um, which isn't even break-even for the farmers, which is why half of the industry has gone out of business in the last 10 years. There are less than half as many dairy farmers in the country today as there were 10 years ago. So um, it, dairy farmers aren't even breaking even. It costs them money to milk the cows, basically. They're losing money milking cows. Um, but people are trying to keep going and hope that milk prices get better because, of course, once you've sold your herd of cows, you're never going to go back in again. It's, it's too big an undertaking. That, that's, I'm sorry, that's a staggering amount. Only 26p yes. goes back into the farmers. As you mentioned, th- this is having a huge impact, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is a terrible situation. This time last year, the milk price we were being paid was 15p a litre. Um, and when you think what you're paying in the supermarkets, it's, it's horrendous, really. Um, but milk is used as a loss leader by the supermarkets um, to get people into the supermarket to spend their money. Um, I don't think people would mind paying a little bit more for milk, um, but they're not given the opportunity to. Um, and so that's how the industry's um, really been in decline on, on the back of that. Um, and farmers, dairy farmers are having to either diversify or find other means of income to, to try and survive that type of a milk price. I don't think people realise that's the situation, to be honest. Would you like to see maybe sort of stricter legislation and maybe even the law that protects dairy farmers and supermarkets from from taking so much from you? Yeah, the dairy industry have certainly talked um, about having sort of a supermarket ombudsman or something of that ilk, um, and I don't really know how far that's got, but um, certainly in the days of the Milk Marketing Board, there was a situation where farmers were paid the cost of production plus a plus a tiny little bit that allowed them to reinvest in their business and that ended in 1994 and ever since then really milk prices have fallen um, and yeah it's it's got into the desperate situation it's in now. What, what other type of things are you having to sort of plan ahead for and take into account, you know, to ensure the future of your business? I think um, Brexit is the big one because we don't know what's going to happen. At the moment, farms do receive sub- subsidies. Um, that isn't guaranteed to continue at all. Um, we're lucky on this farm that we're pretty much just family labour, um, so we haven't got a massive wage bill, and that makes a huge difference because um, we're all working and not having to take too much out of it. Um, if you'd got a big wage bill, I think... Um, for a lot of dairy farms now things would be looking really really um, really really difficult and probably even more so as we go towards Brexit. Just finally for me then what other future plans can we see from you because I have a feeling you guys are going to come up with more vending machines for example. We'd thought that and now we know what's involved in the amount of time it takes to pasteurise the milk and the whole hygiene procedures that we have to go through the thought of putting more vending machines at the moment is probably a a bridge too far Uh, but the dream really is to have a a little place where you could have cherry view milkshakes cherry view milk in coffees um, and that could be a number of years down the line or it might never happen but you've got to have a dream to work towards um, and something down the end of the farm drive there's a lot of people walk and bike down this road and um, that's something that we'd like to have in the in the file as a dream definitely becky Waring of cherry view milk chatting quite frankly there and sharing her dreams as well with Gemma barber I'm spending the programme this week here at Rise Home College, home to the county headquarters of the Young Farmers, with uh, Young Farmers Week almost sadly at an end for another year. Uh, with me now is Matt Demby. Matt, you're the Lincolnshire Young Farmers County Chairman, I think that's right. What does what, what your role involve? So County Chairman, it's all about communication with all of our members. Uh, it's the connection between the county office and the, all the county initiatives to the members. It's getting the chairman and the secretaries of each club to communicate that down to all, all of the grassroots you know, members sort of mm. thing. And how long have you been involved in the Young Farmers yourself? 
Um, I've been a member for since 2010. So, you know, a good seven years now. What got you involved? Actually, what got me involved was um, an advisory member told me to come along. So it was an advisory member of Old Jung Farmers, uh, a family friend, and she uh, she dragged me along. She said, oh, come on, it's this, your turn to come. So I went along and just got stuck in, really. That's good. And obviously, you don't have to necessarily be in farming to be a member of the Young Farmers, do you? That's something that a lot of people don't realise. That's it. We're trying, trying to advertise out of the farming community to get everybody involved. There's opportunities for all sorts of different people. You know, we've got, we've got vets, we've got, you know, ancillary sorts of jobs. And obviously, I mean, it, it is an all-year event. You, you've been county, county chairman. It's, it's key, really, isn't it, about the socialising. It's got just feeling that you are part of something. Yeah, that, that is a big part of Young Farmers. It, it's a family community, you know. Everybody feels involved, you know. You've got, you've got that weekly connection with the same group of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got another young farmer here as well I can bring in. Come over here, come over here. What's, what's your name? Uh, I'm Charlie Monby. I'm social coordinator for Lincolnshire Young Farmers. All right, okay. What does social coordinator mean? So I, with along with another girl, we organise all the parties all the social events throughout the year it also includes a bit of fundraising and a bit of daytime events as well and it's, uh, i just as I said there it is uh, it's about that social element isn't it there's more to it but there is a lot of socializing in young farmers yeah so before i joined young farmers i think my social life was virtually non-existent and now i'm out most nights of the week and most weekends um but again as you said it's about feeling like you're part of something and anyone at young farmers will talk to anyone you can be in a local shop in a young farmers t-shirt if you see someone else in a young farmers t-shirt even if you don't know who they are they'll give you that subtle nod and a smile because it's all just one big family it's not it's not any kind of way of someone oh i don't know you so i'm not going to talk to you you could talk to anyone and what what was it again got you involved in, in the young farmers so i was at school and i didn't really get on very well at school and a friend took me along he was a lot older than i was but I used to ride horses with him when I was younger and he said, come along, I'll pick you up. And I was about 13 at the time and I haven't looked back. So it's the most amazing thing I've ever done. And you obviously enjoy it. Yeah, I love it. I've been doing it so about seven years now, same as Matt. I was 13 when I joined and I haven't looked back since. And Matt, obviously you enjoy it as well. Oh, no, there's nothing else to think about other than farming and young farmers. No. And what would you say to any of our listeners who are not, not members yet, they're at the right age range though, come along? It's for anybody between 10 and 26. You know, it's so, there's so many opportunities there for people if you can just grab hold of them. You know, with Young Farmers you can travel all across the world, let alone just around the county. You know, we've got people who go, go on the National Young Farmers ski trip every year and it's good social, you know, meet people from all around the, around the country with that. And, that, you know, the world is your oyster with Young Farmers. You can, you can go on travel experiences to, to Africa and go and volunteering and things like that. You know, it is what you make of it. It's what you put into it and what you get out. And again, I guess you'd echo that, would you? Yeah, definitely. I'm obviously down in university and down in Sirencester and I still come back every weekend just to come to Lincolnshire Young Farmers. But I know that I've been to a couple of Gloucestershire Young Farmers events and it's exactly the same. Mm. So no matter where you are and where you're from, I would urge you to go and join your local club. I think it's so important that it's, as well as for the people in the rural areas, like you don't spend a lot of time in front of people if you live in the countryside sometimes and it's important to get yourselves and you gain so many skills from joining as well yeah. i know i've learned a lot of public speaking skills i've been to east midlands area to represent lincolnshire um on speaking quite a few times and you just learn so much that you definitely 
should get involved. Matt, Charlie, thank you for your time this week on the programme. That's uh, Matt Denby and Charlie Mumby, both of them clearly, as you can hear, passionate about young farmers. Right, on to the weather then. What's uh, heading our way this coming week? The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Today, uh, while sunny in places, it will cloud over. Should stay dry, though. Highs of 20 Celsius, the wind from the south, southeast, 15 to 20 miles an hour. Cloudy overnight, but again dry, lows of 12. The wind from the east at 10 miles an hour. And tomorrow, chance of a shower. That wind still coming in from the east at 5 to 10 miles an hour. Highs of 19 Celsius. Dry and clear overnight Monday into Tuesday, lows of 11. The wind more from the north, northeast, 5 miles an hour. And Tuesday itself will see a few showers. The wind still from the north, northeast, though barely noticeable, with highs of 19 Celsius. It's dry with patchy cloud to start Wednesday. The wind back from the south, southeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour, highs of 20 Celsius. Then it looks like some low pressure is expected to hit by the end of the week. Could be some particularly heavy rain, breezy as well, more from the south. That'll keep overnight temperatures nearer 15 Celsius, with daytime highs of 19 degrees for the end of the week. That's the forecast and another week's farming. I've uh, been at Rice Home this morning, marking the end of Young Farmers Week. If you want to find out more about the Young Farmers and how you could get involved, even if not in agriculture, then you'll find all the details online. Just do a search for your local Young Farmers Club. I'll be back indoors next week, and as it's the 1st of October, we'll look ahead to this year's Harvest Festival, which is uh, just around the corner. Be here before you know it. Until then, from the Young Farmers HQ here at uh, Riseholme College, enjoy the last week of September, and as I always say, have a good week's farming. <laughs>